Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. Thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. My name is Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. How are you guys doing today? So we had a little fupa, and um, we have not been able to get in touch with our guests. So we're going to discuss some other things that we normally discuss that you guys are always open for and always ready for. So first and foremost, let's say congratulations to the president-elect and vice president-elect, <laughs> Joseph R. Biden and um, Kamala Harris. That is awesome. I don't know about you guys. The Divine Nine has been tripping, which is all of the sororities and the fraternities. Um, this is the first African-American woman, the first woman, the first Indian woman, just the first biracial all the way around. And I think that since we've had shows before where we talked about voter suppression and, and things of that nature and looking into all of what has happened, what is about to happen, because um, our current pre president, that was hard for me to say, but our current president is not in the mood to accept any anything. So we're going to discuss that. We're going to talk about how it affected our families back in the day, even going into detail on what your family was beforehand and then what they are now as far as their overall um, political affiliation and which way they've gone and things of that nature. So I think this brings up that kind and that type of discussion. We do apologize that our um, guest has not shown up, and we, but we think we can wing it. So, Brian, you ready? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I was saying with um, Donia before we went live, because um, we haven't really winged a show before, so <laughs> please bear with us. I guess for what I would like to say, and kind of sticking on the positive, um, I appreciate that not everyone who's, who views our program um, probably voted for either, um, well, President-elect Biden and VP-elect uh, Kamala Harris, but I have to say, hand on heart, the where I live, the the mood, I can't describe the mood. It's like it's like we're living in a it's like we're living in a different world, in a new world. I mean, we've had people driving around, beeping their horns. They've got their Biden Harris lawn signs literally at the top of their cars, beeping horns. Everyone's got big smiles. Everyone's waving. DC looks as though it's going absolutely nuts helped by the weather. I don't, you know, wherever you are in America, I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but here in the Metro DC area, it's like late spring, early summer. It is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I had to let my friend know, he was like, why is all this tra traffic and what is this and why is this going on? I'm like, it's a new day. And this is how people reacted to this whole thing. Like it was a new day. And, um, you know, even, I don't know if you guys caught the Saturday Night Live skit, but even the Saturday Night Live skit expressed what possibly the the media was expressing because of this whole thing. So, um, I don't, I, like I said, 
I'm sorry to those who did not get who they wanted. That's, you know, but now I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. And right before we went live, I was mentioning to Donya, it really, this whole kind of, ever since yesterday, I've had the same thought. And I've been thinking about specifically my ancestors who were enslaved, who were freed, um, and coming up to that first election that they must have tried, you know, that they registered to vote, vote for, the, you know, the men at least who were landowners. You know, what they must have been thinking, you know, that was the first ballot that they were going to ever cost in the entirety of their life, going through having to sign up to register to vote. Um, and I'm hoping the audio is okay, because all of a sudden I can't hear anything, but can you hear me? We hear you just fine. Keep going. Okay, thank you. You know, the hope and the, and the expectation, and I'm, I'm, I can't really liken what we've just been through to that. But I do see some parodies in that. Um, made me wonder how long they had to how long they had to queue, how long they had to wait in line to register, how long did they have to wait in line to to actually vote? To take the litany test, to the litmus test. Exactly. You know, it's it's all of these things when you sit and you really think and look at the stuff that happened up to this particular. Um, this particular election and then everything that's going on now after the fact you tend to wonder you know what did our families go through so i'm going to talk to you guys as well and i'm going to ask you guys straight up you you put it up on here tell us where you think because this was a question that brian and i actually thought about two two shows ago um where do you think your family what do you think your family's political affiliation was back in what, the 60s or right before the 60s or even the early 30s, 39, 40, the early 50s? What do you think your, your family's affiliation was then? Is it different from what it is now? Because well, can, go ahead. I can actually keep that one off. Um, Donnie is right. We were, we were chatting about this, I think it was last week. That I don't know why this little thought bubble thought form kind of came to me, but I really wanted to know what my mother and father's family or how they voted before, you know, right before the civil rights really kicked off. And even though my parents aren't here, um, I still have some um, my mom's aunts and uncles, and I have older cousins on my dad's side of the family, and they they didn't even hesitate. They're like before JFK, our family, and that's both both sides of my family were Republican. They were diehard Republicans all day, every day. But the caveat to that is it's not the Republican Party that we think of today. It was Lincoln's Republican Party that the, that the mm -hmm. And basically it was JFK that that flipped them. Um, I guess I don't know how I don't know how usual it is for African American families to be Catholic, but both sides of my family were Catholic. So they were excited about having the first Catholic American president. And they, I don't know how they knew, but they, they knew that he was predisposed towards civil rights. So that sealed the deal for them. Um, and then when, was it Strom Thurmond who went from being a Democrat to Republican? Yes. It was Strom. I guess my family was like, oh, heck no. Uh-uh, we're not in the same party as that cat. And I think that was the deciding factor that made them jump over the fence and become Democrats. Well, you know, are we, I'm looking at our uh, our group and what they're saying. 
and I have people saying, a lot of people are actually saying Democrats in the 30s, which is weird. <laughs> I mean, not, I guess not weird, but that's what they are. We have Shelly Murphy, um, Paul Gass, Kanika, Kanika Marshall, and she even said, she said her grandma Daisy was affiliated with the Dems in Cleveland in the 30s. And she said that was unusual then. So I want y'all to really, really think about this. I know, because I had to think about it, like what Brian just was talking about. And I thought about it from my family. And I know that my uncle, jo not Joseph, my other uncle, John, John Carlton Yeldale, was one of the founders of the Negro, the National Negro Council, which was founded in, in um, Howard, at Howard University. So here's the thing. During that time, that time period was still the Republican Party of Lincoln. So would your family actually have been a Democrat then? That's the question. And these are the things that we've been trying to figure out. You know, what did our families go through back then that made that switch and that push? And then when we, when Brian and I was talking about it, and we started, you know, really feeling, getting all of that information. And he found that information out about his family switching over when they did. You got to think about it. Strong Thurman had a huge grasp. Edgefieldian, fellow family member, had a <laughs> huge grasp on what was going on with the, um, with the, with those parties during that time period. Another reason why I feel like Edgefield had a huge hand in the creation of the new America after the Civil War. But if he did that, him making that move and that jump and taking all of those people with him, it then allowed certain things. Because who told us this? This was uh, Mr. Felder last year. I mean, last week. He was the one that said when Strom Thurmond jumped ship from the Republican Party, everybody jumped ship. And it all started to switch and it all started to change. So I'm, you know, I, I was that this is what made us like, who really did do that? Who really did make that happen? And then when you think go back, let's go back even further, Brian. And and we start to think about the voter suppression. You know, voter suppression was huge, specifically in South Carolina, because they didn't want that to happen. They didn't want black people to vote and so on and so forth. Um, I think I learned I learned on on CNN from Rick Santorum that the runoff that's going to be happening in Georgia was set up during the Jim Crow era so that these people could not, if they did make it to a certain point, they couldn't go any further after that because of the runoff. This is what I learned on CNN from Rick, from Rick Santorum. So what do you think, as far as voter suppression is concerned, how do you think your families dealt with that? Where did they go with that? How did they, you know, go forward? Brian and I both know that our families died for it or killed for it or went into hiding for it. <laughs> I mean, we, we kind of, we went, we covered all of those different things. So today's show, you guys got to step in. You guys got to, you know, we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We want to see what you're saying and we'll give our what we've talked about, what we know as far as our family's concerned and what they did. And um, we'll go from there. So Brian, what do you think, you know, 
Essex Harrison. Well, uh, I would say that I would like to be thinking about both the, the Parksville riot and the Phoenix riot, which were both voter, um, voter suppression riots. Yeah. I'm um, trying again, trying to stop black, specifically black Republicans from registering to vote. And I wish I could remember off the top of my head, remember between emancipation and the early years of reconstruction, South Carolina's state constitution was rewritten, was radically amended more than once. And I remember, I wish I could remember the year and the specific um, state constitution that got amended. All of a sudden, you, you still had to be a landowner, but before where you could be registered as a voter with owning 150 acres of land, they tried to raise it to 300 acres of land, which would have effectively ruled out about two thirds of the black black male voters at at the time, um, and I'm just I'm, again I'm wondering I'm curious what other state constitutions try to limit the vote through the same means, and how and how effective it was. I mean, in the end, South Carolina had to repeal and had to rewrite their um, the state constitution because it did get challenged and it was it was overruled. Okay, so as I'm reading through, you got a lot of people still responding. Um, Gary Franklin said many started to switch under FDR because of his work recovering from the depression. That's 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 true. Okay, didn't, that, didn't yeah. think about that. So that that's actually um, that's true too. And then uh, Valoria, she says her mom was a Republican in the '60s and '80s, but she always taught us to vote for the person, not the party. She showed us how to split our votes. She later changed to them to Democrat in the eighties. So, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Now, I'm getting ready to smile because my mommy said, "I know the Yaledales in D.C. were Dems back when FDR was president." So she 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 even thought about it because I asked her this question before. She was like, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> so she has thought about it and um that's what she told me so she's saying that dems that we were dems back when fdr was president so okay um so then now the next thing that i guess we'll, we'll discuss because i know now what brian was talking about and the voter suppression and the two riots that occurred and things of that nature one of the riots actually had well they both had something to do with our families but one of them has something to do with a family member that actually ran and hid for five years and then they found him. And now all because of the fact that he was trying to register people to vote. So now when you think about that registration and, and things of that nature, where do you think your family, how do you think your family fared? Because you had litmus tests that you had to take. I mean, what um, Dr. Felder, he said, he said that they had to do silly things like tell them how many bubbles was in a bottle, in a, in a tub, or, you know, I mean, how do you think your family fared when it came to things like that? I mean, did, I, I wonder because with my family, y'all see how I am? Multiply that times three. That's my family. Those are my gildos. They do not hold back. They don't play games. And if I had to say that I got anything from them, I'm going to say it was that. And, and my mother will tell you, I don't, I don't, 
I don't come for the evidence like that. I'll say, oh, I'm a Peterson more than anything else. But I will definitely say that that spirit of, I guess, going for me, moving for me, when it's best, when it's in my best interest, that came from the Yildils. and and they my um, my uncles, they did that. You know, they they did what they had to do. They were one was national as far as politics was concerned. Concerned one was local as far as politics was concerned, and and every time every time after them, there's always at least one person in politics in my family so we we don't we're gonna do what we have to do as far as all of that is concerned well where are you guys as far as that what do you think your family how do you think your family fared when it came to the voter suppression and then having to go and vote do you think they passed those litmus tests um as far as helping others do they do you think those things happen i know on my opinion i think they did i think back then is when I think back then is when black people really did help each other and really did step in and step forward and step through for everybody and I think it's just now during these times that we have actually not been there for each other in that mm-hmm. manner what's your what's your um opinion Brian I got two things um it was the South Carolina State Constitution of 1895 that was the first thing but to answer your question, because I'm I'm trying to I'm looking trying to quickly read the article that I wrote about this a few years ago, because remember the whole the whole massacre that Essex Harrison and Martha Good were victims of. I'm trying to remember the name of the the white gentleman who is who is the Republican who was actually running for office. I seem to remember his last name was Harrison. But even he didn't get off scot-free because remember, he was actually given a choice. He had to leave town. He had to leave town. He had to leave town overnight, pretty Mm -hmm. much. He was given, basically given the option, you got 24 hours to get out of Dodge or you're dead. Because that's just how they rolled in our part of of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Remember, it was both him and I believe he had to take a son. There were two of them that just had to, they had to get out. Um, and never, and actually, not only did they have to leave, they were specifically told to never, ever, ever come back to Edgefield. Right. And they didn't. Right. Um, so it, it, you know, it impacted a lot of people. Um, again, the Honorable Mr. Felder certainly raised my consciousness when he was talking about having to count things like bubbles. Yeah. You know, jelly beans in a jar. In a jar, and interpret parts of the constitution that even the people asking black people to interpret it didn't even understand themselves right you had to interpret the constitution hey even the supreme court doesn't agree on some parts of what the constitution says exactly most importantly some of the people that were asking them to do these things didn't know the answers to those questions anyway how about that one and we're not even entirely sure that that you know that all we can't even assume that all of them knew how to read. Right, that's that's, that's, that's my overall point. So we actually went through um, a lot of things. Jerry Gibson says this is just my opinion. It seems as though blacks who are well off and wealthy tend to be Republicans. Those who are struggling tend to be Democrats. I think our wealthy don't feel 
they have anything to lose and don't have empathy for the poor. I really see it now, just my thoughts. That's, you know, that's an idea. And then Margot Lee, she says, my father did tell me he voted for Truman, but then back to Republicans under Eisenhower. Okay. So maybe there was a period of time when people were kind of trying things out to see which benefit. Now I'm going to argue perhaps that, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say that that neither party really has been brilliant in terms of addressing people of color's issues. Um, I mean, that's true. It usually takes a ridiculous amount of pressure and pain and anger to get the country to move forward. So, you know, so again, kudos to JFK for picking up that gauntlet, because he certainly didn't have to do it for picking up the gauntlet. And again, I would like to tell the current sitting president in terms of doing things for people of color and African-Americans specifically, you can't forget LBJ. Lyndon B. Johnson brought it home across That's the right. Um, we probably wouldn't even be able to vote today as people of color. That's if, right. If he hadn't have done that. That's right. That's so right. not to say that there isn't plenty of room for other people to take up different gauntlets for our for our needs, you know, social, you know, social justice, justice reform, all of that kind of stuff. Getting rid of gerrymandering, getting rid of voter suppression. There's a lot of work left to be done. So there's plenty of room for other people. And it doesn't have to be people from just one party. That's the frustrating thing. Right. This, this isn't an American issue. It has always been an American issue. Um, so there's plenty of scope, no matter what party you belong to, if you're really serious about wanting to see change, pick that gauntlet up, talk to your fellow legislators, act like adults, everyone put on your big boy and girl pants and just get it done. Just get it done. That's right. I mean, there's a lot that, that we could talk about when it comes to our families being a part of it. When we're as researchers and genealogists, Benita B- Baysmore Cook, she says she's ship, but she found a Nancy Baysmore who sued for her voting rights and against the dictation style literacy test. So we, 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 we've been working to stop certain things for so long. You know, we've always been doing it. And I think that's one of the things that's missed, in my opinion. Let me let me put that out there. In my opinion, I feel like that's one of the things that um, a lot of people today don't seem to realize that we actually work really hard to get where we are. And we want to keep it that way. And people are looking at us like, oh, you, you didn't have to, no, nah, why are you bringing up the past? Bringing up the past to remind you that this happened then and we don't want to go back to doing it again. Well, you also made a really good point and it was either with um, Mr. Felder or it was with the show before that, that in your opinion, Americans became complacent. Once LBJ delivered you know, the, the, the voting acts and the civil rights acts, Everyone was so elated and excited that even though it was even acknowledged in that time that there was a lot more work left to be done, that, they work, sat down. that work was never done. Yeah, they, no they sat down. 
what and it's, I, it's how we got to where we are today. And I think we, no matter what progress the Biden-Harris administration can make during these four, you know, their four years, we can't be complacent again. No. We have to keep, keep on, keep on, keep on, and keep fighting until there is true equality across the board for everyone. Yeah, I agree. Margot Lee says her great grandfather was a Republican poll watcher in 1880, same as uh, John Gildo, and testified about voter suppression in a federal lawsuit regarding the regarding that election in Sewanee County, Florida. It was about the presidential portion, but state legislatures. Okay. See, and, and these are the things that we're saying. We know we have family that actually went through all of these things. So with that being said, why do you guys think, talking about going back to what Brian was saying, what makes you think we kind of slacked off the way Brian just said? Because I, I mean, I, I believe that. I believe that people got complacent. They got comfortable once these things happened and everybody was hunky-dory in the 80s and in the 80s. I know growing up, I didn't, as a child, I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel the, um, the racism and I lived in a white area. I lived in Virginia beach, even though my school, my school was half black, half white going into high school. Um, it was literally half and half. It was about as close to half and half as it could get, but I had a black principal. And at one point, there was a, a moment where the schools in Virginia Beach were actually having this like race riot. But I had a principal that was like, no, not in here. We're not having that here. And he changed the whole theme of the school to we are family. So I was always like around people who wouldn't let me get touched by that. I, that's how I'm going to look at that. And because I was around people who wouldn't let me get touched by the racism in that manner, when those kids came to our schools and, and they made all that noise and tried to do things, we were standing together as one. But now, it's, it's, it's not really like that. And it didn't get back like that until the death of George Floyd, until the um, the the... the showing of um what's his name Ahmad Arbery finding out that his murder happened two or three months before it was even reported this is when everybody started like wait a minute what's going on who jumped on it what why is this happening so I don't know where do you guys think that you started to feel it or you didn't feel it I mean where do you think it all happened because right now we're in a situation where we have to stay on top of President-elect Biden and President, um, Vice President-elect Kamala, Kamala to make sure that they get our words out there. You know, I'm that they know what we want. Go ahead. I'm gonna say from my experience, the parts of the United States that I'm the most familiar with, it has always been bubbling under the surface and raises its, and it raised its ugly head. Even in the even in the eighties, I mean, I left here in, in I left here in eighty eight, and that's Connecticut. That rich seam of racism is just underneath the surface, and if you catch it just right, it bubbles up to the surface. I mean, especially when they start talking about majority kind of black cities in Connecticut, um, 
in particular, uh, like Bridgeport, you know, Bridgeport gets dog. Why does it get dog? Because it has a majority Latinx, African-American population. Boston, it only takes a side-eyed look for racism to kick off in Boston. Um, sorry to call those places out, but I'm keeping it real and it is what and it is what it is. So I don't know why there's such a difference between, say, parts of New England and what you experienced here in, in the part of Virginia that you lived in and in DC. Um, but I'm gonna say that, like I said, the parts of New England that I'm familiar with, racism was always there. It was pretty harsh, pretty nasty. And it's just always there underneath the surface. Well, and what's really weird about the area that you're talking about is that in 1856, Charles Sumner, who was the, the representative for Boston, was also against slavery and against all of those different things. So remember, he's speaking about the North, mm. not the South. That's, you know, that's, that, that's what's really crazy. He's speaking about the North, the area that everybody feels that really didn't have that type of struggle or what was going on when in actuality, there were slaves in North just like they were in the South. Well, New England had sundown towns. If you had, yeah. you had sundown counties in New England, whole mm. counties where if you were black, come sundown, you're behind, better not be caught. Wow. I'm reading um, a post, uh, um, Janice said, Janice Gilliard said, although I may not know what the voting history of my ancestors was, I march, <laughs> she marches, I'll say that part, and to vote with the spirit of all my ancestors. So, and I, and I feel, and I, I definitely um, agree with that. I try to instill that to my children as well. Uh, they fought for all of this, especially knowing what I know about my Uncle John and the things that he did. Uh, last week when we were talking with Dr. Felder, one, he talked about the, the Ebony magazine and the Jet magazine, and that was the news media for Black people. One of the things that I actually found out, I found, well, let me put it like this. I found out a lot of information about my Uncle John through those things. There were several articles about my Uncle John in, in, those, in the Ebony and the Jet magazine, specifically the Jet magazine. He was definitely in the jet. I found like five or six articles about him. I think I found like two or three articles about my Uncle Joe. I even found a couple of articles about my brother because my brother worked for the governor of Mississippi. So it was, you know, during the 90s. So it was really, at the, the Jet Magazine was definitely the go-to spot for African-Americans to find out about what, you know, to know what was going on. It was the end all to be all for our news. So, I, I mean, I guess my thing is, is that as far as our research is concerned and what it is we do, do we look for those types of things in our family research? Because genealogists have the tendency to ask the questions that most people do not ask. So is this a question that you guys are asking yourselves when you're doing your research? I, like I said, I've said to you guys time and time again, I credit genealogy for knowing history. I really do. I credit genealogy for all of that. And I believe that when I speak with people, I always tell them, 
you need to have at least one person doing research on your family because you have no idea what you're going to find. Well, the thing that actually made me ask the question to my own family in the first place was doing some research on my paternal grandmother's uncles who were office public office holders in places like um, Newport News, Virginia, Charles City County, and the one that begins with the P. I want to call it Peters. It's not Petersburg. I can't, I can't remember which one it was. But, you know, we're talking about these were African-American men who were councilmen, who were justices of the peace, who were magistrates, all of that kind of stuff. And reading the newspaper articles, it was insane because you saw these immaculately dressed, proud African-American men. I mean, like I said, I stress immaculate, the, you know, the suits and the tie and all of that stuff. And everything about written about them were radical, radical Republicans, radical Republicans. And I'm like, Okay, so Granny's family was definitely um, Republican in the, you know, from the, the late 1890s into the early 1900s. And that's what prompted the question. At what point did her family stop being um, Republican? And like right. I said, the way I have cousins who are old enough who, who actually had those answers. Um, and on my mom's side of the family, you know, it's really sad hearing an aunt who's nearly 90 years old saying, when are our people going to be entirely free? When are we going to actually ever be equal with, with everyone else? You know, that kind of made my heart break a little bit, saying, you know, a woman who's not, nearly 90, who has lived through so, you know, so many turbulent eras in our country's history, and she's asking that question. Right. Well, I mean, but the thing is, Brian, we can't be what... What was I going to say? We have to we have to teach our children. We even have to teach adults. Because you got a lot of people that spew off all this different stuff about history and they only spewing off either half of it or what was taught to them in school. They they literally don't know every they don't know a lot. They're they're missing a lot. So as as researchers and when we're trying to, to help them. We get, what's the word? We get discouraged, I guess, or frustrated because they're not listening. And they're not listening because we don't have the teacher hat on or we don't have a, you know, the, the master's in teeth or the doctor's degree in teaching and this, that, and the third. And we're just lost or whatever the case. Some people you can't reach. That's, it's always been like that. But there are some, we got to at least try. That's my, that's my thing. Well, this is the next question I'm going to ask my, my older aunts. And it's a question I invite all of you, you know, who are, who are African-American particularly to ask your older relations. I want to find out when my Black female relations, that's my mother and her older sister, sorry, her young, one of her, well, her younger sister, but, you know, <clears throat> who was old enough to vote, when did they first vote? I don't think my mother voted in the 60s. I don't think she could vote in the 60s. I don't think that, I don't think that they could vote until the, the 1970s. But that's the question that I want to ask my aunt. When was the first time as a Black woman you cast a ballot? They couldn't until after the LBJ thing. That's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, and, and see, now you're bringing me into... <laughs> 
you go, you know where I'm going, right? <laughs> I thought I thought it would set it up for you. <laughs> so now that that takes me into the women's suffrage. Women's suffrage, um, 1919. You know, they marched. Everybody's celebrating this whole 100 years of women voting and so on and so forth. Please be clear, we weren't able to vote. Black women were not able to vote. Black people were not even, they didn't even want us to, they wanted us to walk, but they wanted us to walk to the back. You know, so Brian asked me if I would participate in a, in a, in a blog and submit a blog. I don't think, I don't, I want to do it, but in the same instance, I don't because of my thought process. And I don't want anybody, I, I don't want to put any bad bojo on genealogy adventures. <laughs> I guess this is my thing because I I truly feel that everything that they're trying to do as far as women's suffrage is concerned with the 100 years and celebrating and showing all of these, showing certain pictures of Black women who have supposedly um, been a part of this particular thing. Yes, they were a part of the 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 actual fight to get it done, but they did not, they were not able to vote until after it was passed in 1964. They were not able to do that. So I don't think, I don't think it's bad mojo. I mean, Lord, certainly the, the tweets that I've that I've tweeted over the last four years at the White House, you know, you want to talk about bad mojo for genealogy adventures. If it's the truth, it's the truth. Um, yeah, I, I know. I mean, but there, there's a lot of truth to a lot of different things, you know, and and everybody is not able or aren't willing to handle that truth. So Shelly said, just to go back a little bit, Shelly Murphy, she said, it's not bringing up the past when we're still dealing with it in 2020. And mm. that's just everything. And she, she hit that like on the, the, you cannot be more on target ma- making that statement. Like she hit that on target, and um, well, especially you know, just just take a minute to get the shout out to all the all the women of color. You can interpret that phrase however you want. You got melanin in your skin. You are a woman of color, right? Who waited in parts of this country like Georgia, six, seven, eight nine hours to cost their vote. That's why, you know, and you know how significant and important that was because not only did Kamala Harris mention it in her speech last night, President-elect Biden also acknowledged it. Mm-hmm. So that that's huge. That that The fact that both of them stood up in front of the entire world to specifically point that out, that's huge. I mean, well, they 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 were the first ones to admit before they even um, won, where you know before they even were pro- projected as winners, they were the first ones to admit that Georgia was split because of Stacey Abrams. Mm-hmm. It all goes to her. It all goes to her. And if we think back, I mean, when you talk about voting during for Trump, when when it was time to vote for Trump. What it was doing the voting between Trump and Hillary. Black women stood out. I mean, the numbers show it. Black women came in, showed up, showed out. 
They were right there to the point where there was one white woman. I can't remember what her name was, but she was like, we can't keep depending on the black woman to save us. She said that in a, um, during a, a conference, I can't remember what lady that was, but she came out and she made that actual statement. She was like, we need to stand up. We need to step up. We need to move forward. This was a part of one of those women's marches. Can you remember what I'm talking? I, I see you thinking, Brian. <laughs> I'm thinking. I can't think of the exact date or the exact march, but I know what you're talking about. But you know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is these are the things that that make a difference today, and that probably made a difference in the back in the day when all of these things were happening. It's always it's a reason why that that whole thing behind every great man there is a, a, a great woman because we were probably pushing our men to be that way as well. You know what I'm saying? So now we, and we pushed our children to be that way. And we told, we did all of that. So as, as African-Americans, as people of color, the education portion of learning about your history, knowing what's going on, comparing it to what happened then to where we are now so that everybody can actually see and understand in order for us not to go backwards this is what's happened in order for us not to move in a, you know in that back in that negative way this is what's going on because i don't understand how people don't see that with the trump administration that was a backward movement the entire four years wasn't, it was it was plain and simple and it was right there yeah. right in your face well i think part of it is Af black people and african americans have developed a information network an informal one you have like black twitter you have black facebook and at Sometimes I think people who don't come from those communities kind of get caught out and surprised by how we organize and the way that we organize and that we can come together and come out fighting or swinging or support, you know, or supporting something. And I would have said that if anyone in the news media who was unaware of this had actually plugged into Black Twitter and Black Facebook and Black Instagram, they would have known about this months ago. We were having these conversations. We were having these deep, heavy political conversations and kind of geeing each other up. We knew that there was going to be voter suppression coming. We knew back in like 2000, the last election, the midterms, that there was voter suppression. We knew that it was going to be even worse this time. So kind of in a way we were psychologically prepped and, and prepared for that. And I mean, there are just tens of thousands of, what I love about it is it's just tens and thousands of black voices that were contributing to those conversations. And as I said, if anyone from the traditional news media, um, be it TV, radio, press, whatever, could actually understand how to access that and watch those conversations. Mm -hmm. A lot of what happened over the, this past weekend wouldn't have come as a great surprise to them at all. Right, right. Now, um, we got people digging in their, in their shoe boxes and, and in their, <laughs> we got them digging because Margot Margo says she just found a box of her father's papers, including papers regarding voter registration in Jersey City in 1916. 
He was assistant secretary for the local colored men's Republican Party of Jersey City. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. That's awesome. That's an awesome find. And and it's just now, Margo, was that something that you were looking, that you even thought about looking for? I mean, again, genealogists, we think outside the box on a regular basis. And um, because we think outside the box on a regular basis, was this something that you actually thought about? Was this something that uh, gave you like, huh, I wonder if I need to do this or whatever the case may be. And uh, or was this moment having this conversation actually made you do that? So, you know, again, I guess this particular show is an information show about what it is we need to look for when we're when we're doing our research. The other things that we need to look for, not just our family, but the life of our family and how our families handle things before compared to where we are now so that we can then say, okay, I don't need to do that no more <laughs> because they didn't get me where I needed to be. But again, it's like the, the last play that we did when I was mentioning about North Carolina, I can't remember the name of the town or the city where the police dispersed tear gas. And I said, if you were to take that photograph that just happened and put it next to the one from Alabama from the night from the civil rights movement with the with the water cannons and the dogs and all the rest of it. Thematically, it was the same image, split over decades, but it was mm -hmm. the same thing. And it's like nothing changes. I mean, that's the same for um was for Trump setting off gas and things and everything so he could take his photo out just so he can get to where he wanted to be. What was what's the difference in it? It's moving people. Only difference with this, and it's it, it only difference with this is that you had more white people and black people that were in it than you did back then. You know, or at least that's what it shows in the photos and the videos that we see. Those people that were getting sprayed, there were some. There were some who were white, but the majority of those people that was getting sprayed, dogs attacking them, you know, the fire hose on them, all of those different things, those were black folks. Nowadays, it's a mix. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a mix. But it took you a long time to get to that point. <laughs> oh, I mean, this past year, there was this past summer, there was every conceivable kind of human being out there protesting that you could think of. It was multi-generational, right. multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-faith multi-ability, you know, physical ability even, different sexualities, different genders, just you name it, everyone was out there. Well, not right. every, obviously not everyone in America was out there, but every kind of conceivable type of human being that lives in America right. was out there in the streets. Right. So Kanika says, we Blacks cannot agree on a platform. Aside from Obama's campaign, the Black Lives Matter organized Organization is the strongest show of coordinated force since our 60s activism. North and South and West experience racism now. We must try to come together. I read that because Shelly Murphy, who is on fire today with her responses, she, is. She, is. she came back with, but you know why it was not designed for us to be on the same page. So again, that's taking you right back to genealogy. That's taking you right back to 
why we do what we do and the way we do it. Because what separated us? What are the things that put us in that position where we didn't trust someone enough to go ahead and, and do this that set us against each other? What, what were those things that actually set us against each other? Now, the overall history teaches us that the overseers, the slave masters, you know, put placing the lighter skinned blacks in the um, in the big house and keeping the, you know, the darker skinned blacks in the, in the fields. That's what that was one of the main things that placed us against each other. But it's uh, huh? all that thought, please. And I'm going to try to say this in a way that's not going to get me in trouble because I really don't feel like spending a load of time on Twitter kind of defending a statement. This isn't unique to America, but I have more experience of seeing it here than in other places where we have a culture that prizes possessions and things and money, almost to the point where we've erected an altar to stuff and money. So if someone dangles the right carrot to the right person can make mm. them kind of, I don't want to say turn their back on their people, but put their own self-interest first. Mm. And in order to be a community, you kind of have to reject that model and you have to redefine what as a community is important to you. Is it getting that, you know, is it getting that executive board chip? Is it getting a seat in the, you know, the the, the West Wing, um, to give up your principles, check, money in the bank account, you know, we have to decide if, if is that more important than fighting for the community or coming together. And the second thing is, we are in a monolithic people, um, especially, you know, since the end of slavery and you have people of African descent, you know, you have Africans and you have people of African descent coming here. And I guess what's really, be, it's making me think a lot more about this. And I'm learning a lot more about the Latinx community because I, I'm guilty. Hey, I was as guilty as anyone else. I was thinking if you speak Spanish and you come from a Spanish speaking part of the world, again, probably you're all Catholic. You, you know, I thought of them as being a unified entity. And again, I've learned a lot over the last couple of weeks, realizing, you know, understanding that Cuban Americans are different than Venezuelan Americans who are different than Mexican Americans. They're Spanish speaking people. They share it for the most part, similar religious beliefs, but because their cultures are slightly different and they have different histories and different experiences, they tended to break for different political parties and they have different political beliefs. So basically they're not a monolithic people. And that's got me thinking about black people in America and trying to figure out and trying to understand where our differences are, where you do get different pockets of people. People who come from the different parts of the Caribbean are gonna have different viewpoints. People who come, you know, people who are of African descent coming from Mexico are gonna have a different experience and, and that's gonna shape their views. And I'm still, I'm exploring that. I'm still in my very, very, my very early stages and I, I'm interested to see where it's, on, where it's gonna lead. Well, um, I want I got two things. First, Victoria Robinson said, please, let's be clear. Some blacks voted before the 1964 Voting Rights Act. Of course, such votings occurred outside of the South. Folks voted in California, New York, Illinois, et cetera, which is true. But again, that was during the times where they had to pass those tests. You had to pass those tests. Now, I don't know 
about California. I'm not too sure. But it was still during those times when they had those ridiculous tests. There were moments, there were, we could vote to a certain degree, but it was those ridiculous tests. They didn't get to the point where it was for everybody else until after the Voting Rights Act. And that's the part, at least that's my understanding. Now, y'all tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm always open. I, I learn all day, every day. But this is the, this is the thing that kills me about my own ancestry, my free people of color. And it, this doesn't apply to all of them, but I'm aware of at least a dozen of them that this happened to. They weren't considered citizens. This is during the slavery period all the way back. They weren't considered American citizens because they were African descended. But so they couldn't vote even though they were landowners. I had an I had an ancestor in North Carolina in the I don't know what about 1815 period who owned 15,000 acres of land couldn't vote. So to me and I keep hearing all of this stuff about representation without taxation. Well, what was that? He paid yeah. he paid his taxes every single year. Could not vote. Wow. Well, you made a comment at the, you know, just not the one before this, talking about Black people and how we were to get together. Now, I know y'all probably about to attack me right now, but I'm open. Y'all know, I, you know, I'm open. <laughs> um, Ice Cube. Ice Cube did what he did because he was trying to help people. And now, Black people are totally against him. All because he got the money. He offered this He offered this plan, this quote-unquote platinum plan to the Democrats and to the Republicans, and the Republicans jumped on it. And so everybody was mad at him, calling him a coon, calling him all the names that they, that they give, you know, to Black people because they don't feel like they're doing what they're supposed to do. In all I really, this is, somebody put up here, Brian, that you're a critical thinker. I, hey. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you call me. I really think, I, I, I really think outside the box. That's how I look at it. And um, you can call me what you want. But I, I, I think outside the box. And I honestly feel that the attack on Ice Cube was not warranted because he was just trying to help his people. He was trying to get money going into flowing into our own stuff. He was never trying to go in a different route. And he was like, let's use them like they used us. That's his thing. You want me? You got to pay for me. That was his thought process. That was always his thought process. So now everybody want to stop watching his movies and this, that, and the third and, and all of that. I do not think personally, I do not think that it's fair to add someone like that to people like um what's that crazy looking kid's name? Uh mm, name on the tip of my tongue. People like 50 Cent. 50 Cent, he, you know, he's doing it because of money. You know he's doing it because of money. He was voting for Trump because of money. He came <laughs> out and said that. Hmm? The, do you mean the young guy with the multicolored hair? I think it is it ludicrous? Not ludicrous. Not ludicrous. No, I know who you're talking about. Look, no, think. not Lil John. God, I can't think of his name because I love his music. Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, that's it. Lil Wayne. He did. He did it too. You know, he. They. They. I don't think you can put 
Ice Cube in the same in the same category as them because that's not what he was going for. Those aren't the things that they were shooting for. And another person, I don't think, and y'all really gonna come after me, but somebody just said his name. I don't think you can put Kanye into that category because Kanye is not well. He is a sick man who don't know how to do what he don't he don't know what he's doing. He really doesn't because he doesn't take his medication. When he stays on his medication, you know it. If this, and I'm going to sit here and I'm getting ready to say it, Brian, you can smack my hands later. But if this was a white person who was sick, y'all would be trying to find some daggone help for him. But black people do not look at us in that way. We do not look at each other in that way. If we come off and do something crazy like that, we just wrong and we about to write you off. You know, so those are the whole that that's just how I feel. I, I and and y'all can get mad at me and y'all, y'all can get mad at me. I'm 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 okay with that. You can send me messages. I'm okay with that. I will literally respond back to you on that. But we uh we will that young man that shot up that church, that young man was considered to having a disability having a, a a mental issue. And because, yeah, yeah, he was considered to have a mental issue. The man that shot up Vegas considered to have a mental issue. This is how they get those those mass shooters off, considering them having a mental issue. But Kanye, oh, he know what he doing. When everybody knows this man takes medication. Okay, I'm and sorry. Renata actually clarified something that I said. So thank you, Renata. Free people of color, and she's speaking specifically about North Carolina, were disenfranchised after the rebellions. And I'm going to assume that probably is around the time of Matt Turner, because a lot of things trend south for, for free people of color after that. Um, new laws were instated in the 1830s. Before then, people could vote. Yep. So guess what, Brian? We're at the hour. We're at the hour. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the hour. So this was um this was a very interesting show. We want to apologize again. Um, we hope that we still will be able to get Miss Carmeletta Williams on because we feel like it's a very good show to have and learn about some resources in Kansas City, Missouri. So we're definitely going to work on getting her on the show. Because again, I, I appreciate that because our ancestry is East Coast. I mean, our ancestry is pretty much exclusively East Coast. Um, I'm just really eager to learn about kind of genealogical societies and repositories and archives and, and researchers and places, parts of the country that we've just never researched in. Right. Um, and the Midwest is, is perfect for that. Right. So, so go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, ladies first. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was just getting ready to sign off, but if you want to do it, that's cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, tell them about next week's show. Um, I'll post about that one. Okay. Well, uh, I'm Donya. I'm, thank you guys for, you know, joining us and, and giving your opinions. You, you Shelly, Renata, Margo, all of you guys, you guys were putting it out. There's so many more that I couldn't get the chance to read off. Thank you so much for participating. Um, I love these conversations when it's just us and we just kind of sit and just kind of talk about different things. 
So I, I appreciate that. And we can't wait to see you guys next week. Show will definitely go on, like always, because that's how it's supposed to be. Brian? I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya. <laughs> Thank you for spending your hour with us with Genealogy Adventures, and see you next week, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Bye.